Thanks so much for joining us today. The Bible reading for this message is taken from Revelation chapter 6, from verse 12 to verse 17. It would be great if you could push pause in this video now, go and read Revelation 6, 12 to 17, and then come back. We'll see you here in just a moment. What we are dealing with in Revelation chapter 6, at the end of this chapter, is like nothing we have ever dealt with before. The events that are being described are the end of all things, when God will finally put an end to all evil and his justice will be seen by all of creation for all time. The question is not a moose in these verses to, on that day, who can stand before what God is doing? When we understand why people are asking this question, we'll discover that it is a question of absolute importance that every person who has ever lived needs to know the answer to. You see, when God comes, He is not going to uh, come and fix up parts of the world, the parts of the world that you don't like, or the parts of the world that aren't really working. He's going to come and fix up the whole. And lest we forget, we are a part of that whole. He's going to come and fix up everything properly, and that's why he waits. But the time will come, and that time has come at the end of chapter 6, when the sixth seal is opened, uh, and we discover these events that now happen. In this picture, we move from heaven back to earth. And what I want to do is put things into slow motion because of the subject matter that we are dealing with. Here we are dealing with the judgment and the wrath and the anger of God, which is one of those things in life that we'd really rather not talk about. We're very happy with a loving God, with a God of grace and a God of mercy, but we're a lot less happy to talk about a God of anger and a God of wrath. And so let me just put things into super slow motion and unpack what it is that we're looking at here. Uh, firstly, the Bible speaks about the certainty of judgment, the certainty of the day of the wrath of the Lord. Uh, final judgment forms the framework within which the New Testament message of saving grace is set. So in Acts chapter 17, in the past, God's overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So God wants people everywhere to repent because judgment is coming. So that's the frame within which this happens. It's coming, it's certain, and so now is a time of salvation through repentance. Uh, secondly, we need to understand that judgment is what Jesus saves us from. It's from the coming wrath of that day, the day when God's righteous judgment will be revealed, that Jesus rescues us. Um, and just so that you understand this, uh, we might not be particularly happy to talk about these things, but that the Bible is. The Bible's very comfortable to talk about judgments. Listen to these verses. 1 Thessalonians 9 and 10. It's talking about how the Thessalonians have turned to God from idols. They're serving the living and true God. And they're waiting for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Romans 2 verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. 
Romans 5, 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more will we be saved from God's wrath through him? Ephesians 5, 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Uh, Colossians 3, 6. You can read the whole chapter, but verse 6. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. John 3, 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever that rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Revelation 19.15 Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And these are all New Testament passages. So don't think that... The Old Testament God was a God of anger and wrath, and the New Testament God is a God of grace and mercy. No, the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. We see grace and mercy in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. We see judgment and wrath in the Old Testament, and we see judgment and wrath in the New Testament. Thirdly, we need to understand that God's judgment is judicial. Throughout Scripture, God's indignation, His anger, His fury, which are often spoken of, they are judicial. Uh, these words always point to the Holy Creator actively judging sin. And that's exactly what Roth is talking about here in the New Testament. So God's judgment is uh, judicial. Uh, Jesus comes to save us and rescue us from certain judgment. And fourthly, Jesus is the one who has been appointed by God to be the judge. The message of coming judgment for all mankind with Jesus Christ completing the works of his mediatorial kingdom by acting as judge on his father's behalf is an idea that runs throughout the New Testament. It's that two-sided nature of Jesus. He is both savior and judge. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may receive what is due for the things he has done while in the body, whether good or bad. Acts 10.42, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. 2 Timothy 4.1, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Uh, the question then, as we get into Revelation 6, is that in light of this judgment, who can stand? And so let's get into this sixth seal. Here is a picture of the final day of the anger and wrath of the Lamb, which is a strange picture on its own. The picture is of the universe going to pieces. Now I know 2020 was a bad year, but it wasn't as bad as other time periods in history. We had to shelter in place for six months, not for six years like Europe had to in World War II, but here is something on a whole nother level. Here the universe appears to be completely imploding on itself, and what we're seeing is that a day is coming that is far worse than any other day ever experienced in all of human history. Look at verse 12. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red. These are the colors of those riders from the first four seals 
Uh, think back to last week. The stars in the sky fell to the earth like figs dropping from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Imagine Table Mountain just being removed. This mountain that we see every single day of our lives when we leave our homes, it was just gone. Islands just sinking. Uh, it's a cataclysmic event that is taking place. It's a day when Christ will judge and will destroy all that ruins his creation. When the Lamb opens the sixth seal, we are given a picture of that day of final judgment. The day on which God will end this world and punish evil and all who have done evil. It will be the end of all things as we know them to be, and the universe will be forever changed. Now, this is not a renovation of things. This is not just some DIY fixing up. This is not um, Earth 2.0. Uh, this is a complete destruction of all things, and that's why the Bible talks about a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. And the images here are not foreign. They're familiar images from the Old Testament. Remember, Revelation doesn't introduce new stuff. It, it uses Old Testament language to uh, help us to understand what's taking place. So if you read Isaiah 13, verse 9, you would see the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day with wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate and to destroy the sinners within it. The stars of the heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. Um, Joel 2, verse 30, I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Isaiah 34, 4, all the stars in the sky will, will be dissolved, and the heavens will be rolled up like a scroll. The starry host will fall like withered leaves from the vine, like shriveled figs from the fig tree. It is the great day towards which we are heading. The day where all the partial judgments of the Lamb from the first four seals will be caught up, and on that day they will be made final. You know, we've had war, we've had uh, famine, we've had conquerors, uh, we've had death um, by um, pestilence and plague. Uh, those are the first four seals, but they are nothing compared to this day. And the, there, there are two emotions that really run through these verses. The first one is terror. Look at verse 15. And the kings of the earth and the princes and the generals and the rich and the mighty and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. On this day, all social and economic distinctions are lost. It doesn't matter if you were a prince or a pauper, a general or a sergeant if you were rich or poor, if you were a CEO or a managing director, or if you were a factory floor worker, uh, if you were uh, strong or if you were weak, uh, if you're rich or poor, when you're running from an earthquake or a tsunami, it doesn't make the slightest difference what you did, what your role in life was at that point in time. And they, they are so terrified that they call on the mountains and the rocks, fall on us, and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Yet we've now plunged headfirst into some of the worst scenes of the Bible. Everyone, from kings 
to slaves and free and everyone else is now hiding away and hoping that the place that they have hidden will cave in and will crush them because the great day of the anger of the Lamb has come. And who can stand? The, it's a terrifying sight. It's meant to be paradoxical and it's meant to scare us. We should feel at least some of the terror. You should feel some of the terror that these people are experiencing. It's not a, it's not, the, 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 the judgment of God is no joke. It's incredibly serious. It should terrify you. It should put fear in your heart to know that that day is coming and that he will judge the living and the dead. And they, they hide. Uh, they're hiding. It's interesting. There was another time in the Bible when people hid. Not David in the cave, uh, but Adam and Eve in the garden. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Uh, back in Revelation 6, they're hiding. And not only are they hiding, but they are wishing that they were dead. They would rather die than face uh, the Lord and the Lamb because of the Lamb's anger. Now again, I said it's a strange, it's a strange idea to think of, a, of an angry Lamb. You know, Lambs are always so, so fluffy and cute and cuddly and all those things. Uh, but not here. Here, the anger of the Lamb is where mercy and justice meet, where weakness and power meet, where holiness and love meet. And so the sixth seal is open and it's the worst that we have seen so far. Because after everything that's been described, conquest, famine, death, war, um, the greatest terror is the Lamb. And you should be afraid. You should be very afraid of the Lamb. For this Lamb is the Lion of Judah. And this anger is the worst kind of anger you can imagine. For it's not losing my temper anger, flying off the handle anger, uh, anger because uh, you don't really care about the other person. Anger because somebody kind of got something wrong or messed up a, an accounting sum. Uh, this is the anger of sacrificial love. The lamb is angry with evil. And his anger has nothing unholy or impure or unloving about it. It is an anger that you and I as human beings will struggle to ever know or to understand. Because our anger is always bound up in our sin. This is a righteous anger, and it is an anger that has, been, that has been restrained for millennia because he has been patient, not wanting any to perish, but all to repent. Because he doesn't take death, pleasure in the death of the wicked, and so he is perfectly under control, wanting as many as possible to escape his anger. But this anger is what will set every molecule of evil and wrong right. The cataclysm has commenced, and the whole world is going to be changed. And that's the second emotion that we have in these verses. If the people's emotions were terror, the emotion here is wrath. God is angry. He is full of wrath. He feels it. And he is angry because he cares. He saves because he cares. He gives us grace and mercy because he cares. And here he is angry because he cares. Because he cares for his world. He is angry that people have hurt his world and have done evil and have rebelled. He is angry that people have hurt each other. He is the creator of all things. 
How would you feel if someone took your creation and destroyed it and used it to destroy others, used it in ways that it was never meant to be used to bring hurt and pain and brokenness? And that is what we are seeing here. This anger being poured out on this day because the time has now come. Everything is finished and is fulfilled. And God is setting things right once and for all time. We need to understand that not only is the judgment certainty, but judgment is coming. The great tragedy here is for those who have pushed Christ away, is that for the first time on this day, they finally ask exactly the right question. Who can stand? That is a question. That is the question that really matters. That is a question whose answer has eternal consequences. By ourselves, we can't stand. But if we've been reading Revelation, then we know that the Christ who comes to punish evil is the same Christ who gave himself and has wrapped up uh, in his love and in his righteousness those who have trusted in him so that he doesn't have to punish us. We read in Revelation 5, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. We're going to look at that next week in the pause of, uh, that is chapter 7. But for now, when Christ comes again and history is completed, all humans of all ages will be raised for judgment and will take their place before Christ's judgment seat. That event is unimaginable for human imagination. Uh, but... It is, but just because our imagination can't conceive it, doesn't make it that a measure of what the sovereign God that Revelation gives us can and will do. Everything on that day will be done properly, but we must wait. So what do we do while we wait? Well, are you ready? And are you ready all the time? Listen to these words from Jesus in Matthew 24. But about the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Except if you've listened to this message, you know. They knew nothing about what would happen, but you know what will happen. Or these words from verse 42, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour you do not expect him. What do we do in the meantime? Well, we wait and we get ready, because we know it's coming, and we've been told to be ready. Well, here's the third thing that Jesus talks about, and just give you the meaning before I read it. The third thing we do is that those who have been entrusted this with this message share that message with others to help other people to be prepared and ready. 
in verse 45 of chapter 24 in Matthew. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant is wicked and says to himself, My master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour that he is not aware of. And he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Part of what we do in the meantime and part of our preparedness is making sure we're ready, but making sure others are ready also. And it's really interesting here, because if we're ready and helping others to get ready, it has this knock-on effect that they're ready. But if we're not ready, and we become like the servant who beats the others, uh, and who drinks with the drunkards, it has an effect on us, but it all will also have an effect on them. Uh, for will they be ready if we're not ready? Friends, the Bible gives us knowledge of future judgment for one reason and for one reason only. The Bible gives us knowledge of future judgment always as a summons to present repentance. The Bible gives us future knowledge always as a summons to present action. I cannot stress this enough. What you now know requires you to do something now. It requires you to do something today and tomorrow and every day until he comes back because every day is a day that we have to be ready for. And it is only the repentance, those who have put their trust in Jesus, who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, who have been given these white robes by Jesus, who will be prepared for judgment and protected from it when it comes. Who can stand? Only those who are ready will stand on that day. And so let me ask you this question. Are you ready? And when that day comes, will you stand? Will you be able to stand? And will you be counted among those who are rescued? In Joel chapter 2, uh, we read about the great and dreadful day of the Lord. I just want to read those verses again because there's one verse that I left out right at the end. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you called on the name of the Lord to be saved? Would you bow with me and let's pray. Father, please would you help us to be ready for the day that Jesus comes back. Please would you help us to use our time in this life to be prepared for the next life. Father, help us to think on these things. We know they're difficult. They're hard for us to understand and we don't like to think about them. But these are the things that have eternal consequences in our life. And so, Father, we need you desperately. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for the knowledge of coming judgments. And we pray that our lives would be amended now that we know these truths. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.